My first time was terrifying. My first time was scary. Exciting. Shocking. Traumatic. Sad. Awkward. Weird. Uncomfortable. Depressing. A relief. I thought I was dying. Meh. <laughs> My first time was horrifying. <laughs> My first time was empowering. My first time. My first time. My name is Janet Mbogwa. I'm a media personality from Kenya, the founder of the award-winning Inuadada Foundation, author of My First Time, which has inspired this podcast about first-time period stories, and I'm a mom of two amazing boys. It's important to me that we continue normalizing and mainstreaming taboo conversations through diverse voices, because when everyone is included, everyone wins. Our guest today is a familiar face and voice. What I specifically love about her is she's an actress and she'll tell us a little bit about it. But the fact that her acting, and I was just telling her, I feel is a form and expression of advocacy. And so we're very excited to have Sheila Muniva, Ziki from Rafiki, the <laughs> film. Um, and she's also in Country Queen and all these incredible projects. But she's also very passionate about the rights of women and girls. So Sheila... So good to have you. Thank you, Janet. This has been a much-weighted conversation know. and sit down as well. Exactly. So, I mean, I've given a little bit of a snippet about you. Yes. Um, how do you usually describe yourself? I always tell people that I'm a versatile creative. And by versatile creative means my brain and how I do my work is not only tied to just acting. It's got music, it's got art, um, physical mm. art with the, what you do with your hands, but also art in the sense of how I live my world, how I express myself. So Sheila is an actress, an activist, and a mother to a beautiful and incredible No, he's boy. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I am a witness. <laughs> yes. And uh, on top of that, right now, I'm really being trained and working very hard because I'm an upcoming director director so i'm writing my own scripts and soon very soon you guys will be seeing my work on screen that i directed myself you know it's incredible because you say all this casually but it's it's i mean it's pretty incredible Thank um, you. It, are you at a place now where you thought you'd be 10 years ago did you see this playing out or did you see a version of it playing out like, to be very honest, my journey has been so interesting because 10 years ago, no, when I was leaving school, actually, when I was in uni, I wanted to be a news anchor. And you are one of the people that no, I would look up to. No and I used to tell myself, you know, I have a nice voice. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I'd sit and take like those little short newspaper clippings and stand there and say, three students from Margali High School, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> you were so like, I'm manifesting this, is, this. Yes. So I saw myself as a news anchor. And so I went to East African School of Media Studies. Mm -hmm. And um, basically was being trained in journalism. Then a friend of mine called me and said, hey, it's the weekend. If you're looking to make some quick cash, there's someone who's filming a series and they're looking for extras. So I thought, OK, it's Saturday. I'm not doing anything. Let me go. I walk in on set and the energy, the director, the whole action thing, actors getting into character and just saying their lines. And I was in awe. Mm -hmm. Something had switched in my mind and I knew this is where I needed to be. So I went back to my school and I switched my units and did TV and film production. And alas, here we are, 10 yeah. years later, which is crazy because it's exactly 10 years. Of 10 years. Yeah. Doing but this. but I, what I love about that story is that 10 years for me is a really good time frame 
to get to know yourself while you're also getting to know your craft. That's very true. Yeah. That's very, very true. I think sometimes when you're in school, there's a group idea that you form with your friends. But once you're out of that and you're an individual, you start to discover yourself and what your true passions are mm-hmm. through the experiences that you have with people. And just by also taking yourself and putting yourself out there. Yeah. So that was wonderful to have discovered that. And another thing you discovered, which is essentially what this uh, podcast also speaks to is you were recently, maybe it wasn't recent and you'll tell us when it was, but I met you uh, with Madhvi and you'd done, you'd participated in an activation for PADMAD. What's been your understanding or journey or knowledge around menstrual health, menstrual justice, and what was your first interaction with that issue of menstruation? So one thing that people don't know about me is by the time I was 12 years old, I was orphaned. So my mother, my father, and my sister, my immediate family, they'd all passed away. So I had to go and live with my grandmother. And because my mom was sort of like, she'd done very well for herself. So she sort of was the breadwinner of our whole family. Her death resulted in a huge financial loss. And I started to experience, and this is when I had just started menstruating. I think she passed away a year into my menstruation. And so I could already start to see how difficult it was for my grandmother to get me pads every single month. And I lived my life knowing that I lacked something that was very vital in my life. So when I finished school and, you know, things come full circle. And I remember being on Instagram and seeing this lady talking about period poverty and all these incredible things they are doing. And I wrote a message on the post and I said, wow, this is incredible. How can I be involved? Mm -hmm. Because I've been there and my situation was not as bad as what I've come to see happening in Kenya, but it motivated me and gave me sort of an eye where when I saw that, I immediately identified with it. Madhvi responded and she said, we'd love to have you. And that's literally how I got involved. Mm -hmm. So my upcoming birthday in March, I went online and I told my friends and even my family, I said, instead of buying me gifts and buying me presents, why doesn't everyone send money to this pay bill number so that we can help support girls and help end period poverty? In Kenya and that's how it started wow. so then she invited me and we went to West Pokot with Eliud Kipchoge and we did an activation there in a couple of schools and it was such a transformative and magical experience mm-hmm. not only for me but you could see even for the girls even for Eliud himself and myself because I carried my son and I went with my partner and as a family we really got to experience the truth of what's really happening You've captured that so beautifully from your own journey. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that um, into kind of how you saw this post and decided to take action. Mm-hmm. When you got to the ground, what really stood out for you? What was that moment that made you realize, man, we really need to do more of this? Was there any particular story or was it just kind of the day in itself that captured you and stayed with you? Man, the thing that captured me was the girls. These girls are beautiful and they are so clever. They are so smart. They would make their presentations or give their talks. And you're listening to them and you're like, my goodness, Kenyan girls are brilliant. They are gifted. And it's a shame that this is the reality of their lives, what they have to go through just to be able to get a pad. And it's something that we cannot control. So for me, it was, I was just really taken aback because I thought, these incredible and wonderful human beings, if they have the support that they need just by knowing they don't have to worry about that pad at the end of the month, there's so much more that they are able to yeah. focus on. And so for me, it was just 
I was also feeling a loss for the girls who mm. don't get a chance to get these pads and what they have to go through and what they are losing. Yeah. And what they are losing with education, what they are losing even with just friendship and sisterhood. Mm-hmm. So that for me was the eye opener that mm-hmm. just these girls are incredible and yeah. we have to be there for them. You you seem to have a a selflessness in you or um something in you that begs to kind of want to make a difference. Uh, whether it's what you experienced with Padmad or even, as I was saying to you earlier, how you're acting is kind of a form of advocacy. Yes. Why is it important for you to speak up, to stand by people? What do you think the world needs to know about why you make that decision? Uh, it's so simple because I've been an underdog mm. and I know exactly what that's like to be looked down upon your family has died and people see no value in you to exist in a place where people don't see you but not only that to not even be able to get access to the things that can help you thrive and get you out of the situation that you're in Mm. so i've been an underdog and so it's very easy for me to empathize and it's very easy for me to throw myself in this space because it runs in my blood it's very personal to me again that's powerful mark you this podcast is usually about <laughs> menstrual justice but i also think it's intersectional and i think that's the approach that i like to use which is beyond just that one transition of periods what else surrounds the advocacy around it what else yeah. surrounds the issues around it yeah. um because for me i found that when i started my own journey in addressing period poverty is when you begin to see and learn how many other issues are attached to it whether that's gender based violence whether true. that's teen pregnancy that's whether true. that's stigma um, or misunderstanding um where men and boys come in and maybe i can speak to to you about that yeah. because i've seen you with your family and it's beautiful and you're kind of this incredible unit um you you you're raising a boy i'm raising two part of the issues around period poverty or menstrual injustice is for many people the lack of understanding or empathy by men mm-hmm. the lack of understanding by boys because many times they're not invited into the conversation that's true and more than that the people who make the policies are men how do you think we need to either do away with the categorization of um just who's supposed to do what yeah but because it is a patriarchal society how do we begin to integrate with men and boys um and why do you think that's important man it's so important because i remember the first time when i got to truly see what boys understand about periods and it was in primary school i think johnson and johnson used to do this activation where people would come mm-hmm. and bring us pads and the girls used to be taken to the hall for this talk and at the end of it we'd all come back with our little bags and we're feeling shy and we're giggling you know we don't want the boys to see and the whole time the boys have sort of just been in class reading and they know the girls are going through something but they don't know what it is so when we come back they get mischievous because they don't understand what we were doing and how come we are coming back and we are so secretive so they want to pull out these pads and know what it is and they were completely excluded from that conversation and i think that's the first thing we need to do mm-hmm. is include our young boys these young men the ones who are growing up to be honorable members of society we need to include them in the same exact conversations that we're having with the girls so that they understand this is what happens to your mother it's what happens to your sisters your aunties and your future girlfriend your wife and the children that you have so 
if there's anything we can do is to start including them in our conversation so that they don't have to be mischievous and feel like, oh, maybe that's just a girl thing, mm -hmm. that this is something that happens in our lives and it affects society and we as men are part of society. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to know about what's going on. That's amazing. Two more questions. One of them is... You obviously were in a role um, in a critically acclaimed movie, um, Rafiki, which disrupted mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. And then just as we were speaking earlier, you talked about the fact that, and I hear it over and over again, you're about acceptance. You're about everyone belongs. Yes. It's not about saying I'm a better person than you. Exactly. Um, how can we translate this narrative of acceptance um, to transcend across different social justice issues, be it period poverty, be it gender-based violence, how do you think we can begin to ac be accepting as a society? And what's been your experience yeah. having been essentially a pioneer yeah. um, in that kind of role? One of the things about Rafiki that um, re revealed to me as we were, you know, the film was out and we were doing press and meeting especially Kenyans was ignorance is what builds fear. And people fear what they don't understand. I would have um, teenagers and just people in their 20s coming in with their parents to watch the movie and they tell their mom, they tell their dad, this is who I am. This is who I've been trying to tell you that I am. And because of the beauty of Rafiki, afterwards, because I was available to talk to guys, the parents, one parent came and said to me, I cannot say that I understand truly what this is, but I can see what my child goes through and I accept it. Mm. So I feel the whole thing of acceptance is we need to make everyone aware of what is happening in life. But on top of that is to be respectful of everybody and their culture. We can be respectful of religion and religion can be respectful of people who are part of the LGBTQ community. One does not negate the other. Two things can be right at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, one of the main things, even when we talk about integrating, when we talk about advocacy and when we talk about people and why it's important for me that people remember there's nobody who's above another person. Mm -hmm. You're not better than another because you're wealthier, because you are straight and they are gay. These, even in, in the Bible and even with God, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. He created us all in his image. If you understand that, you will have no room for hate. You mm -hmm. will have no room to look down on other people. But then now on top of that is we need to have these conversations and show beautiful things like art, like the film Rafiki, which then starts a conversation. Mm -hmm. And we're not forcing anything down anyone's throat. We're just mm -hmm. letting you know, hey, another side of life that exists. Mm -hmm. And it would be incredible if you can be part of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, you know, entertainment and I guess, quote unquote, pop culture, mm -hmm is perhaps one of the best ways to kind of tell these stories. Absolutely. Because then everybody knows um, a film or a song or a piece of art or a poem, mm -hmm. and, and it tells a story of the life we live. And so hopefully more and more, that's kind of why I did the book. It's a collection of short stories. And I have Yvonne here, um, who identifies as they, them. So even when I was putting this together in 2019, mm -hmm. I wanted inclusivity. Um, and so they were able to share their own story about how menstrual uh, periods and identity. So it's always also been at the back of my mind mm -hmm. about acceptance. And so I wanted to make sure that that voice was also heard here. And so That's to hear you wonderful. say that is amazing. No, thank you. And for anyone who gets the book and they are gender fluid, just by reading her story, mm. they feel more included. Yeah. They feel more part of this society and less rejected. So exactly. that was brilliant of you to do. I feel like you've said so many incredible things, but is there a final 
thought um, that you'd like to share? Um, and if you can tie that in with how do you think you're going to continue with your advocacy around menstrual health? Where do you see, what do you see yourself doing? I know that's a weird question because somebody can be like, <laughs> I'll do what I do. Yeah. But um, what kind of, what seed was planted in you in terms of menstrual advocacy? Mm -hmm. And you can tie that in with any final thoughts. One of the things that was very surprising to me when I was reading your book was just the state of, um, and we don't even want to call it period poverty, but just the, the different ways that women experience their periods. That mm. really shook me, especially when I read about um, the women back in Turkana and how they don't even have the things that they need just mm -hmm. to help them get through something that they experience mm -hmm. every month. Mm. I feel like with advocacy, it's very important to go down to the human level. It's very important to put yourself in someone's shoes and see them for who they are, not what you assume they are or what mm. you think they should be, but what truly it is. As human beings, we have lost touch with our humanity. We've lost touch with being able to see other people as vulnerable, but not only that, now being pulled enough to go in and do something about it. Mm -hmm. So for me, with how I'm planning to do all of this. I've started by one, making myself aware of all the issues that exist. And that has been by studying psychology and human behavioral science. Mm -hmm. For me to be able to talk to you, for me to be able to even relate with you, I need to do that on almost um, a mm -hmm. superhuman level. Yeah. And that's where the education comes in. So I'm really familiarizing myself with the human psychology and how people behave and how especially early childhood has affected us and how we operate as adults and I want to use that and give power back to people because we lose ourselves in our trauma we lose ourselves in the experiences that we go through and that really holds us back from living our fullest potential mm. I want to get back I want to help people get back to themselves and then in turn they can live life to the fullest potential because when you are happy you will make my life better. And if I'm happy, I'll make his life better. And mm. if all of us are doing that, you mm. can imagine the type of world we live in. That is so beautifully put when we want to thrive, not survive. That's I always true. say that. Exactly. Sheila, thank you. I feel like we need a whole other conversation <laughs> with Sheila um, because I think you have a very interesting approach and visceral and, and honest um, and progressive approach to, to life. So thank you for lending your voice. Thank you for using your platform as wonderfully as you do. And please check out Plug. Where can people find <laughs> your work? Country Queen is on Netflix. Yes, but does she guys, say? But do I say? <laughs> so please watch me on Country Queen. I play clinical officer Anna. And that's airing on Netflix right now, global. So wherever you are in the world, you can watch it. And then keep an eye out. I have a Disney film coming out next year. The first ever in Africa. It will be coming out in 2023. So keep an eye out for that. And if you haven't, get a chance and watch Rafiki. I bet you, you will absolutely love it. I have nothing else to add <laughs> other than thank you. Um, and thank you, Sheila. And thank you guys for listening and watching to this episode. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to my First Time Stories podcast, where we're pushing for menstrual justice one story at a time.